0: Well, I want to thank everyone for the opportunity to be here this morning and to talk about God's word with you. I am very blessed for this opportunity and blessed for this congregation and what you mean to our family. As you can see this morning, the title for my sermon is The Things That Influence Us. And then because of the glitch, you saw the next slide, which is the question that I really want to start with, which is, are there things that influence us? There are uh, whenever I look on social media or I just look at everything that's going on in the world, a lot of times it seems as if people don't think that there are any influences in our lives that are of any real concern. Or maybe there's just nothing that can really influence us at all. But when we turn to the scriptures, one of the things that we can see throughout the Bible on basically every single page is that we are influenced. You can just go to the first few pages of the Bible in Genesis 1 through 3, and you can see that people are influenced. Walking along in the garden with Adam and Eve, there is God who gives them a test. He gives them commands. He tells them what he expects of them, gives them a job. Along with God in the the garden, there is the serpent that that tempts Adam and Eve, that gives them a temptation. And then there's Adam and Eve themselves, where they failed to be a positive influence on one another to follow what God has asked them to do. And then a fourth influence that we can see there is just the location of the tree itself. Uh, The New King James Version, which is what I understand y'all use the most, says in the midst of the garden is where the tree was placed. Other versions will say in the middle of the garden. And if you look at that word, it's smack dab in the center is what it's talking about. This tree was in the center. It would be within eyesight, no matter, you know, as they were going from one side to the other. And so the, I, th- I think the right sort of thing to think about would be the candy bars at the grocery store, where they're right there at the cash register, where if you're going to do anything at the grocery store, you're going to see the candy bars. That this, is, this location of the tree had an impact on Adam and Eve because it was always something that they would see there are several different things that impacted and influenced Adam and Eve and as you read through the Bible over and over and over again in all of these stories there are things that are influencing these people it is inescapable it is pervasive it is all throughout the scriptures that there are influences Paul recognizes this, and it is something that he saw as so pervasive and so strong that he uses the metaphor of slavery to talk about it. In Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 23, we're going to skip a few in the middle. It says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God bethink that though you were slaves of sin, yet you were obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul recognizes that there is no choice in this life but to be a slave to something, to be influenced or swayed by something. You're either going to be swayed by sin or you're going to be swayed by righteousness. You're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve God. You don't have a choice in the matter except for which thing you're going to serve. You're going to serve something. You're going to be influenced by something. And you have a choice. Are you going to choose the slave master that offers life? Or are you going to choose the one that offers death? And with that in mind, we need to make sure that we understand that this is not something to take lightly. We cannot allow ourselves to be fooled about things that influence us. Because the things that we allow to influence us, the things that we surround our lives with is going to have an impact on our heart. And as Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The things that you allow to infiltrate your heart and corrupt it or to purify it are going to be impacting every piece of your life. This is not something that we can just take lightly. We can't think of influences as something that's of no consequence because it is of dire consequence. It is a choice of life or death. It is a choice of ruin in your life or joy in your life. And so with this in mind that we absolutely are influenced and that this is not something that we can take lightly and we cannot be fooled about, Let's look at the things that the scriptures say influence us. The first one we're going to be talking about are spiritual forces of evil. We're going to spend the most time on this one because it's a bit strange to me. Spiritual forces of evil that influence us. To start, I'm going to give a pop quiz. You don't have to answer out loud. Just answer in your mind. When is the first time the word sin appears in the Bible? Just think about it for a second. When is the first time the word sin appears in the Bible? If the answer you gave is Genesis 4, you would be correct. God, talking to Cain, says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. The thing that's really interesting to me about the first time that sin is introduced in the Bible is that it's not anything like what I think of. Because when I think of sin, I think of an action, I think of something that I do. But the description of sin here is not like that, it's like an entity. It's a thing that has the ability to lie at the door as if it's crouching and just waiting and lurking. And it has a desire. It has a desire for you. And not a desire like a puppy wanting its back rubbed or something like that. This is something way more corrupted than this. Now, I don't think, um, I don't think it's any coincidence that this description is coming right after the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. This lying, like it's, it's, it's crouching, like it's waiting, and its desire is for you, like a serpent would be lying and waiting for its prey. Sin is desiring you, but you should rule over it. A similar description is given for the devil in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, in the world. In both of these descriptions that these this spiritual force of evil this thing that wants you is described as something that's desiring you like a predator does its prey. It wants to feast upon you. Another passage that talks about these spiritual forces of evil is Ephesians chapter 6, 12 and 13 where it says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Here we have spiritual hosts or armies, spiritual armies of wickedness in the heavenly places. All three of these descriptions describe these things as something that seems large, predatory in nature, something that's violent, something that wants to destroy you. And because of that, it's something that's very ominous, maybe draw, can, can bring fear out of someone. But in all three of these passages, there's also something that is said here, that you should rule over it, that you should resist it, and that you should be able to withstand it. So no matter how great, no matter how bad, no matter how fearful these things may seem, Scripture indicates that we should have the ability to withstand these influences, that we should be able to resist them and rule over them. But one things that we need to do in order to be able to resist these things and to is to have a better understanding of what we're dealing with. Because there's just something about... The devil, or Satan, or spiritual forces of evil, or, or wicked hosts set in heavenly places. That's just sort of puzzling. Like, what does that even mean? I, I, I've grown up in a culture that's very materialistic. Not like you buy Prada and coach, but materialism, meaning all that exists is the things that you see. Anything, the only thing that exists is what's observable by science. This is the paradigm I've grown up with. But the Bible, the biblical authors speak of a worldview in which there are things that exist that we cannot perceive, both good things and evil things that exist that we cannot perceive. And if we're going to adopt the biblical worldview, we have to accept that these things exist. We have to accept that these things have an impact on us. And we also need to be aware of the things they will try to do. Paul talks about this um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 11, where it says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul talks about not being ignorant of his devices, and in this context, is talking specifically about how Satan is going to try to divide them. What is one of Satan's devices is that he is going to try to create fractures in your relationships. He's going to try to create a schism in your church family. He's going to try to create a schism in your blood family. He's going to try to create a schism in your relationships with the people that you work with, that you call your friends. Satan will try to divide you. This is one of his devices. And Paul says knowing this, knowing that he is going to try to do this, allows us to be one step ahead of him. And so if we're going to avoid the influence of spiritual forces of evil, it's very helpful to at least have some idea of what they're going to try to do to us. Because I can't grasp it in my hand. I can't picture Satan. I can't picture these spiritual forces of evil, but I can know what they're going to try to do And that gives me an advantage. One thing that they're going to try to do is harm us. If you look at the story of Job, Satan, he causes great pain for Job. And in doing so, is trying to get Job to no longer serve God. And so in our own lives, we may experience pain. We may experience discomfort. And this could be at the hands of Satan, trying to get you to curse God and die. Another example of some device that Satan has is to change the idea of what we call good. It talks about Satan appearing as an angel of light, where he will try to convince you that some other thing is actually what's good besides what God is calling good. He's going to appear as something that is magnificent or beautiful or desirable and try to lure you away into thinking this thing that God actually does not approve of, is the good thing. Another thing is that he's going to try to cause us to doubt the faithfulness of God. This is what he did with, with Eve. He says, didn't God say you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And then he acts as if God is holding back on them, like, oh, yeah, if you eat this tree, you'll just become like God. He's trying to convince Eve and Adam That God is holding out on them. That He's not the generous giver. That He's not faithfully, that He's not faithful in their relationship. As you read through the the Bible of of the whole, especially if you look at the teachings of Jesus, there is one critical thing that Satan is going to try to do. And that is to get you to reserve one place of your heart for something else. If He can just convince you, To hold out in one place of your heart, he's got you. And being aware of this, that gives us an advantage. And the thing that gives us an even greater advantage is this. The works of the devil have been defeated through Jesus Christ. And God provides a way of escape. No matter how great, no matter how fearful, no matter how huge these things may seem, because they're unknown, because we can't see them, because they're hard to perceive, we know that Jesus Christ has defeated them and that God provides us a way of escape so that we may be able to bear the temptations that come our way. So we can know what he's trying to do, we can know what they'll try to do to us, and we can turn to Jesus and we can find a way to bear the things that he's going to throw our way. Another influence, the second of four, that we're going to look at is people. People influence us. You know, there's this idea that I grew up with uh, as, I think, mostly as a kid and even as I got a little bit older, is that peer pressure is just a kid thing. You know, I really had this idea that peer pressure was something that only applied to grade school and college-aged people. That That's the only, that's the only time you experience peer pressure. But if there's anything to learn from the scriptures, it's that peer pressure is not just a kid thing, it's a human thing. People influence people. You can see this all throughout the Bible with the children of Israel. Just a handful of people persuade a whole nation to not trust God. Twelve spies sit into a land, ten of the twelve come back and say, Oh, we can't beat them, they're too big. Ten people convince a whole nation. Not to trust God. Solomon, the wisest man to live prior to Jesus, influenced and swayed by nations and women. Elites that rule over other people, persuaded by other people. John 12, 42 and 43 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him because of the Pharisees. They did not... I'm reading this wrong. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. It's not just the nobodies. It's not just the children. It's even these elites who rule over people are being influenced by other people because of their fear of losing people's praise. It's not just... These people either, it's an apostle of Jesus and one of his co-workers in the faith, influenced by people. In Galatians two, eleven through thirteen, it says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I, Paul speaking, withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came he withdrew and separate himself, fearing those of who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. When it talks about those who were, uh, were of the circumcision, there were, there were Jews who were converted to Christianity who were still wanting to maintain that you had to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Christ. And so Peter, he would eat with the Gentiles who were uncircumcised until these people who were the party of circumcision would come around. And then, because he's afraid of what they might think of him, he draws away and he pulls himself from the Gentiles and he only eats with the Jews. An apostle of Jesus, influenced by people, and even his co-worker in the faith, Barnabas. Every single one of us can be influenced by someone else or by some group of people. And God knows this. He knows that we can be drawn away by other people. If there's anyone who needs to be reminded, it's us. First Corinthians 15:33 says, Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. If there's anyone who needs to be not to be made known, If anyone needs to know that we can be uh, led away by other people, it's us. It's the people who think that we can't be influenced by someone else. I can walk around all day long thinking, well, I don't care what anyone thinks, so no one can sway me to do something I don't want to do or I shouldn't do. But then, because I don't care what anyone thinks, well, if they see, well, I don't want them to think that I care. So then that in makes me do something. Because I don't want them to think that I care because I don't care, but that means I care. Okay, so you see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. Do not be deceived. The people that you surround yourself with will influence you. They will have an impact on your life. And God knowing this, I believe is this is why or part of the reason, I should say, of why he gave us the church. In Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 says, "And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." God knows that what he has asked us to do requires us to go out into the world. We have to be around people. We have to be around people who are going to influence us to do things that we shouldn't do. But we receive counter pressure from our brothers and sisters. We receive counter pressure from the church where we can gather together. We can be with one another and we can all with one accord point each other to Jesus. This is what we have with one another. The ability to point each other to Jesus, to point each other to the things that bear fruit for God, and to apply counterpressure to the peer pressure of the world. This is the gift from God that we have to deal with the peer pressure we receive from the world. The next... Influence is circumstance. This is time, place, situation, your cultural upbringing, relevance, events, all these sorts of things. Circumstance. These things influence us. And you may not think they do, or maybe you do think they do. But the scripture provides an example of where circumstance did have an influence on people. And it's in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. A little bit of background story before we read this. <clears throat> so, in Exodus chapter 6, what has happened is uh, Moses has been sent by God with the flaming bush. You remember this on, on the mountain, maybe. So, he sends, he sends Moses to talk to Pharaoh, and he's supposed to tell Pharaoh with his brother Aaron, hey, let my people go, and they're just going to offer a sacrifice over here. And Pharaoh goes, oh, You mean you have all this extra time to go offer a sacrifice? I'm just going to double your workload and not give you any extra time. So now my slaves, the Jews, the Israelites, you have to make the bricks, and you also have to get the hay to make the bricks, whereas before my people provided you with the hay. So he's doubled their workload and not allowed them any more time. And God says to Moses, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. What's one of the things that's really fascinating about this is when, you're, when you read through what Moses is told to tell the Israelites here, I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will bring you out from cruel bondage. This is like the prototype message of the gospel. This is the physical manifestation, a physical resemblance of what we love about the beautiful message of hope found in the gospel. That he is rescuing us from an oppressive force. He is rescuing us from our sins. He's going to redeem us. He's going to rescue us. It's the message that we all cling to. That God has rescued us and redeemed us. And this same message of hope that would probably seem even more real in some sense because it's physical in nature. I'm going to be released from this oppressor that I can see with my eyes. This person who makes demands of me that I have to actually work out. God's going to rescue me from this person. But they just can't take the message because of their anguish of spirit. And cruel bondage. The circumstance that they were in was in their minds just too great to bear. The circumstance had an impact on their ability to receive this beautiful message of hope. And this could be any of us, any of us could have circumstances. That influences us. Maybe you're an impatient parent who hasn't gotten more than five hours of sleep in a month. That's not me. Maybe you're a joyless person who is trying to kick an addiction. That has been me. Maybe you're someone that's not depending on God, and you have a six-figure salary and a dream home. Your circumstance can have an impact on the way you think, on the way you act, on the way you talk. And Paul has something to say about this, too. In Philippians chapter 4, 11-13, it says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, base, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everywhere and in all things, in other words, in all circumstances, I have learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you look at this passage and everything I've been leading up to at this point, there are these two different extremes that can present themselves when it comes to circumstances. You can be the sort of person who says circumstances don't matter. They don't impact me. They don't influence me. There is no consequence whatsoever. Or you could be the sort of person... That always has an excuse that if I just had a little more time, if I just had a little more money, if I just had this different job, if I just lived in this different place, if I just had better parents. You can fall on either one of these extremes of always blaming the circumstance or thinking that circumstances don't matter at all. And In either case, you are missing the power of Paul's declaration here. Because the power of Paul's declaration is, is that Circumstances do have an impact on you, but Jesus Christ is greater than the circumstances. It's not because of your strength, it's not because of your might that the circumstances have no impact, it's because of the strength we draw from Jesus Christ. That your circumstance may have some sort of sway over you, but because you rest your joy in Jesus Christ, you will not be swayed and you will not be moved. There's one thing that's talked about here, that I don't think I think about enough. I, I I do think about one of these a lot. You know, just not blaming my circumstance in the terms of, you know, I could be really impatient and really angry, short-tempered because. My kid had a double ear infection, and that put me on edge. And I could blame that circumstance because it's unfortunate. It's something I didn't enjoy, and it could have put me in a bad mood, and I could have made all sorts of excuses. And I think about that. That's the one I think about. The one I don't think about that Paul is mentioning here is the being full and having everything. How many times do we think about how being in a fortunate circumstance can have a negative impact? on your behavior, on your attitude, and how much you are depending upon Christ. This is another thing that can be seen from the story of Israel. We see in the story of Israel, cruel bondage and anguish of spirit led them to not believe, not heed the message of Moses. But you also read through the rest of the Old Testament, and you see by having an abundance and having everything they could possibly want caused them to not depend on God. Either one of these circumstances can negatively impact our behavior and our attitude. But through the strength we draw from Jesus Christ. If we rest on that instead of the strength we draw from circumstances, we can overcome whatever we have thrown at us. The last influence is God. I think that I've kind of struggled in my life with this question and I didn't realize it until I was preparing this sermon did God just clean us up fix the broken relationship and then leave us to it I think I've lived most of my life believing that God did everything he had to do when he washed my sins away that that was it that's all he had to do and that's all he's done and after he did that he's just like Adam, boy, get it. And I've lived my life as if it was like I was having to do it all on my own. But he washed my sins away, and now it's all on me to do everything right from here. And he'll wash my sins whenever I mess up. And he'll just keep washing my sins, but that's all he's going to do. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we look at the way the Bible describes Jesus, what we see is that God is actually an active participant in our lives. He was an active participant From the very beginning with Jesus, where it says in John 12, 32 and 33, Jesus says, and I, if I am to be lifted up from this earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus came in the flesh and he died a death being raised up on the cross. And there he proved that he was an active participant in our lives because it was through that he was going to draw all people to him. That Jesus was going to draw all people to God by allowing himself to suffer in this way. And he proved to us how much he wants to be involved. And he continues to stay involved. In John chapter 15, 4 and 5, it says, Abide in me and I in you. Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He who abides in me and I in him. Bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. For anyone who has the idea that if you're bearing fruit for God, if you're really bearing fruit for God, that it's just you doing it, this verse proves you wrong. If you're bearing fruit for God, it's because of Jesus Christ who lives in you. It's not you doing it on your own, God is an active participant. He is an active participant in your bearing good fruits and you're doing good things. And a passage that I really love that speaks to this is in John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Here it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Jesus came into this world. He took on flesh to rescue us, to rescue us from condemnation. And he came into this world, and some people received him and some people didn't, because what he did was he exposed what they were doing. And when when he exposes the good deeds that you do, it feels good. But when he's exposing the bad things you do, it doesn't feel quite so good. And this is one of the ways that God is an active participant in influencing us. He exposes you. When you turn to the the perfect law of liberty and you look into that mirror and you see what's good and bad about yourself, or when you look at the life of Christ and you see how he's living and where you're lining up and where you're not lining up, things start to get a little uncomfortable. I feel good when I look at something I read. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that, but I don't feel so good when I look at the life of Christ and I see something that I am utterly failing at. And so when it comes to the question of, is God really influencing me like I want him to, one of the questions I have to ask myself is, am I comfortable? Because if I'm constantly comfortable with where I'm at if I'm constantly comfortable with the way I think, with the way I talk, with the way I act, I might not be letting God influence me. Because exposing wickedness is uncomfortable. It's quite painful at times. But in the end, it's better. And this is the influence that God has on us if you allow him to if you will let him to because he wants to he really wants to and on every page this passage every page of the bible this this passage from Joshua just rings Choose you this day whom you will serve. You can choose to serve the influences of the evil forces, of people, of circumstance, or you can choose to serve the influence of God. This is the choice that you have. And it's not one of those things that you can just sit on the fence about. It is a real choice. Whatever, whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You cannot choose to be a friend of the world. You can't choose to say, well, I'm going to maybe a little bit allow myself to be influenced by the people or my circumstance, but I'm going to mostly give myself to God. That's not the way it works. It is a real choice. And you can't just sit around and wait. Another thing about this choice, it should be easy. <laughs> I mean, at least mentally, it should be easy. I want to make it clear to you why this is easy. You just tell me, do you want to choose life or death? Do you want to choose freedom or slavery? Do you want to choose the winner or the loser? We were talking in the back just a minute ago, <laughs> I was thinking about this. Yancey was talking about how he was teasing his new son-in-law because... He they he wasn't doing so well in a board game. He's like, oh, I can't believe my daughter married a loser just joking around with him. (laughs) But we we all have this in us. We like to choose the winner. Anyone who's a football fan knows I want to choose the winner. Which one do you want to choose? Because the world offers death, Satan offers slavery, and he's the loser. But in Jesus, there's life and freedom, and he won. He already did. And so make your choice. We're going to close with some applications. We know what influences us. We know what we should choose. It should be an easy choice, but how do I go about it? How do I make the choice? You know, New Year's resolutions always come up, and this is something that you can keep in mind. I don't suggest waiting four more days. I suggest starting today. But how do you make the choice of choosing your influence? What do you do? Well, there's three things that are always said. Now, these are they're, they're fundamental. They're great. You should get into God's Word. You should do it. You should choose today that you're going to read the Bible more often. Try to read it every day. You'll fail sometimes. I'm doing a, I'm doing an every day reading plan with Jacob. You know what? Sometimes I get three days behind, and I catch up. Jacob sometimes gets five days behind, and he catches up. Make an attempt to read every day. Get into his word. Pray to God. Talk to him. Talk to him like you would your father. A father that loves you. And just try to be better. I know it sounds simple, maybe even too simple, but I am totally convinced, especially looking at John 15, that if you will just try to be better, God will bless you for it. Make these choices. And, but make them the right way. Okay, Make these choices, but make them the right way. If you're going to get into God's word, do it the right way. Jesus told the Jews, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You can read the Bible every single day and never find life if you're not looking for Jesus. You can read the Bible every single day and search them diligently, know them better than anyone else, and never find life because you didn't do it in service of Christ. So get into God's word, but do it to find Jesus. Pray. But if you're going to pray, pray the right way. Jesus tells a parable. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector You might know it. One stood off uh, afar off and said, I thank you that I'm not like that person over over there. And the other one said, Please forgive me, I'm a sinner. Bless me, I'm a sinner. We can pray every single day, but if we pray trusting in ourselves, if we're not praying trusting in God and His righteousness, trusting in God as our provider instead of ourselves as a provider, our prayer will not lead to life. Our prayer will not make us righteous. This parable ends with one went away more righteous than the other, and it was the one who trusted in God instead of themselves. So get into God's word, do it the right way, pray to God, do that the right way, and if you're going to just try to be better, also do this the right way. Romans eight twelve and 13 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I used to have the attitude that I had a lot of self-control because I could run 13 miles or I could run a sub-five mile. And I had this attitude. I have a lot of self-control. I have a lot of self-control. And so I could, I could quit things. I, I could exercise that self-discipline. But none of these things were of true value because I was making it about my ability. I was making it about me and my ability to quit things and to do things that I needed to do. If you're just going to try to be better, if you're going to try to do the right thing, don't make it about how strong you are. Don't make it about how good you are to overcome this thing. Draw on the strength we find from God. Don't make it about yourself and your own strength and your own might. Make it about Jesus Christ, our God, and his spirit that he gave us. Use them and not yourself in trying to be better. Choose your influence. Don't be naive. Don't sit around to make the choice. And allow God to expose how much you need him by getting into his word, praying to him, and just trying to to bear fruit, all in service of Jesus, not yourself, not anyone else. If we can help you do any of these things, we would love to as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.